Good morning, Risen Church. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat, please. My name is Zul Chowdhury. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, that's my name. And I have been going to uh, Risen Church now for about five years, a little bit over five years, actually. And John asked me to preach this morning, and I'm really excited to do so. So, But before I do, before I jump in, I want to uh, go over two things. Uh, the greatest commandments and the great commission. So to let you know a little bit of my heart behind this and why I share this, why I do this before I preach and before I teach and uh, things of that nature, um, it's a little like uh, Peter's heart in 2 Peter 1, 13 to 15. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So he, say, he says this a few times in 2 Peter. He says, I want to remind you of some things. He says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so that's my heart. This is the reason why I go over these things, because I want us as a church to be a people who dwell on, man, I love God and I love people. So the, and, and making disciples. So the greatest commandment, right? There was a time where Jesus was teaching one of the teachers of the law. They saw that he had given a good answer and they said, teacher, of all the law and all the commandments, which is the greatest and Jesus says, the greatest is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is similar to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So it's that, right? Love God, love people, right? Like what, what's the greatest thing that God wants from you, Risen Church? God says, just love me. And then turn around and love people. And then before Jesus died, right, or I'm sorry, not before he died, before he ascended, so he had died at this point, risen from the grave, right? And I like to say this, right, and, you know, whenever someone rises from the grave and then they come to tell you something, you normally listen. And so he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. So I want that to be us as a people, that we love God, that we love others, and that we make disciples. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to read the passage for today. Today we're going to read out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read all 17 verses, but my emphasis is going to be on verses 15 to 17. So as you find your place in your Bible, uh, as we read, I'm going to ask uh, that as you are able, that you stand out of reverence for God's Word. This isn't something that is, you know, commanded in Scripture. You're not sinning if you don't. It's just something that I like to do. It's a simple act of our bodies that we use to remind our hearts that this is not man's Word. This is God's Word. So if you will, stand with me, and we'll read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 17. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. 
For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was, those of the, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. All right, so this morning, like I said, we went through the entire chapter, uh, but I'm going to just, that's more for background information. I'm really going to camp out in verses 15 to 17, but verses 1 through 5, he starts out, And he's naming all these different things, right? He's saying, you know, talking about the troubles that are going to come in the last days, right? People, you know, are going to be, you know, there's going to be difficulty, Timothy. People are going to be lovers of self rather than lovers of money. Real quick note on that, right? There was one commentator, I didn't say this in the first service, I should have, that, you know, he says that sin right there, loving yourself, that's actually the sewer pipe through which all these other sins flow, right? Because if you love yourself, of course you're going to love money. If you love yourself, of course you're not going to love your neighbor. Of course you're not going to be a lover of God, right? But he says, you know, they're going to be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, right? He names all these different things. And one thing that I want to point out here, right, is that this is the way the world has always been. That's just the way of the world, right? And here he's not talking about the world, Here, he's talking about those in the church. That's why he specifically points out in verse 5, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. So he's saying, Timothy, get ready, right? There's going to come times of difficulty, and there's going to be a bunch of people in the church, and this is the way they're going to be acting, right? And then in verses 6 through 9, he points out some of the leaders who are going to come out of there, right? And they're going to be, you know, weaseling their way into these households and doing just ungodly things, but he says, don't worry, like, they're not going to get very far. Their folly is going to be plain to all. Despite, the kind, but despite these kinds of people who are going to slip into the church and try to use it for personal growth, they will be exposed in the end. And then in verses 10 through 13, he encourages this young pastor, and he says, listen, this is normal, right? Just like Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, right? Persecution is normal. That's why he says all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like you're going to go through this. This is, this is normal. So he, he tells him, remember, remember me. You saw my aim in life. You saw my conduct and all the persecutions I went through at Iconium, Antioch, and Lystra. And then in verses 15, 14 to 15, he gets down to the nuts and bolts. And I love this because Paul gives him the antidote, right? Like, man, 
everything's going to be going crazy. People are going to be talking bad about you, persecuting you. Like all these things are going to be happening in your church. And he says, this is what you need to do. <laughs> Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So what is Timothy's antidote? What is, you know, how is Timothy supposed to fight this battle? It is with the word of God. What's the resource and what's Timothy's resource and source of help? It's the word of God. He says, this is what's going to help you in these times. So if you get nothing else from this message, right, I have three points, right, but, but really, really just want you guys to go home, take this home with you. Spend time in God's word every single day. Every single day of your life, you need to be in God's word and letting God speak to you and change your heart, renewing your heart and renewing your mind through what he's telling you here in his word. So in verses 16 and 17, there are three points I want to drive home today. Uh, the first point is that the Bible is God's word. The second is that it is profitable. And the third is that it is sufficient. So read it again. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So point number one, the Bible is God's word. Right? He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And I heard in a sermon one time, this guy, he said, you know, I, if, if you knew for a fact that tomorrow, if you woke up at 5 a.m. and you were to pray, you know, for a couple minutes, you pray for a couple minutes, and then you just, you're quiet for like 30 seconds. Like, if you knew God was going to speak to you after that, like, you would hear his voice and he would talk to you. Like, I bet many people would be excited to go do that. Be like, okay, I'll do that, right? But we're not as excited to wake up at 5 a.m. to read the words of God. When God tells us, no, my word is breathed out by me. Like, these are my words. Like, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so, um, you know, you got to admit there's probably something, right? Many, some people in here, some people, you do. You spend time in God's word, and I, and, and I love that, right? But I'm trying to encourage those who, who don't. I really, man, I just really, really want you, Risen Church, to be a people who, man, you read the word of God. You read it for yourself, right? You don't just listen to sermons. You don't just, you know, read blogs and whatever, you know, get into arguments on Facebook. Like, no, you read the word of God for yourself, and, and you love it because, at the end of the day, like, if, if we're not, right, we have to admit there's something in us that doesn't believe this, right? There, there's either a problem with, with, you know, our beliefs or there's a problem with our value. Either we don't really believe what it says here, that this is God's word, that these really are breathed out by God, or we don't value it, right? We just don't read it because we don't care. It's not, it's not important to us, right? There's other things more important, right? I have Netflix shows I need to watch or whatever it is, right? Like, not against Netflix. You know, I love Netflix. Got a subscription, all that stuff, whatever. Just, but there needs to be a value on God's word that we have. So, um, because, and, and another reason why we need to be listening to this is because we are going to get so many lies, whether it's in the media or from our own head or from our friends, whatever it is, the world is lying to you. And you need to fight those lies with the truth of the word of God. So I want to go to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, and I want to make a few observations here. So, 
Starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and here it is, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of, the, uh, eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right, and I want you to see two things that the serpent does here, right, because it's very crafty. The first thing that he does is he questions the clear words of God. And that is happening all over the world today, right? We read the words of God and people go, is that what it really means? Like, do you really think he, he still means that or he wants that? I had a guy tell me one time, like, man, you know, the Bible needs to, needs to upgrade. And I said, whoa, like, hold up. <laughs> so I, and I was just like, no, like, there's no upgrading this, right? Like, but people really believe that, right? People think like, oh, no, that's for back then, right? Right, I know it's what it says, but that was for them back then in their culture. And, and that's what Satan does. He says, does, did God really say that? Is that really what God means? But then he goes a step further, and he says, God is lying to you. God told, and, and this is the thing, right? Like a lot of times we look at Adam and Eve, and we think like, oh, man, like that really sucks, right? And it did. But you got to understand, when we are deceived, we become transgressors. God did not come and go, oh, you poor people. Like, no, like Eve knew, right? Like, oh, did God really say that? She spits it back out, and she spits the command right back at him. Like, oh, this is what he said. And so at that point, the serpent had to say, oh, he's lying. You're not actually going to die, right? Some of you are hearing these voices right now, right? Like this Zool guy, like he's an idiot. He still believes this word. He thinks that's the word of God. That's cute for him, right? But, you know, I, I'm modern, right? Like I've upgraded. I don't need that, right? Like it's good to teach some people some morals and stuff, but like I, I'm good. I got this. And so I don't want you I want, well, what I do want you to do is read the Bible and be able to see those lies when they come, those lies that say, man, did God really say this? Or the lies that straight up say, man, he has flat out lied to you. God does not want your good. If he did, he wouldn't restrict you in this way. If he, if he did, he would let you do, you know, whatever it is, right? And I'm here to tell you that, that God is good. His word is good. And the Bible is God's word. So that's my first point. Um, the Bible is God's word. So don't believe the lies. God is speaking in his word and his people need to know what he is saying. So on to point number two, the Bible is profitable, right? Or useful, right? So it says, you know, the, the, that the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, right? And so you got these four ideas here. You have teaching, reproof, correction, and training. And so, you know, in the first thing, you're, you have teaching. So scripture teaches us right doctrine. It gives us, like, hey, this is what you should be believing. And then reproof is the idea that scripture reproves us or it, or it convicts us of this wrong doctrine or wrong uh, actions that, that we may be believing or doing. And in correction, uh, Scripture corrects us or sets us right when we veer off um, in action or belief, right? It happens. Even when you're reading the Bible, you're going to start, you know, seeing different things. You get influences, right? Even if you wake up at 5 a.m., right? Say you spend an hour in God's Word, and then you spend 
what, another 10, 12 hours in the world, right? You're going to need to come back to the Word of God, and that's what it's going to do. It's going to correct you, and then I love this. It trains you in righteousness. Scripture trains us in the way that we should live out the Christian life. So John Piper tells us the following with regards to this uh, passage. The bio, in the Bible, we find teaching, and that teaching finds us heading in the wrong direction. And when it finds us there, we need to be stopped and told that we're wrong. That's called reproof. And we don't just need to be stopped and told that we're wrong. We need to be turned around or corrected. And then we don't just need to be stopped and told we're wrong and then turned around. We need to be pointed in the way of righteousness, and that's called training. Right, and so I have this scripture here. It's uh, Psalms 119, 9 through 24. I love this. How can a young man keep his way pure? Right, anybody dealing with that right now? You have a hard time keeping your way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and, my, and, I, and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your words. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's something good to pray before you read your Bible. I am a sojourner on this earth. Sorry, on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules. At all, <clears throat> at all times, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me the scorn, uh, scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors, Psalm 119, 9 through uh, 24. And so as we, as we approach this topic, right, I never want this to come across as a condemnation type thing, right? Like, and, you know, I said this before, right? Like, I don't care, you know, we, we talk about waking up at five. I don't care if you wake up at five. I don't care if you, you know, do it at midnight, whatever it is. I just want you to be a people who are in God's word, right? But, but as we look at that, sometimes we get, these, we get this fear in us, right? Like, well, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to just, like, have all this knowledge and be deadened in this knowledge and, you know, not have this love for God. And what I'll say, look at that psalm. Does that look like legalism to you? Does that look like somebody who's burdened by God's words, right? Who's just, you know, I, I love what Jesus says when he's talking about the Pharisees and their prayers. He says, you know, you, you, know, you pray in order to be seen by men, and you have received your reward, you want to know why the Pharisees didn't get anything from Scripture but head knowledge? Because that's all they wanted. They weren't looking for God. They, weren't, they didn't want to delight in God. They just wanted to be better than other people. So this is not a legalistic thing, right? He says, uh, and, and, you know, he even says this even further in John 5, 37 and 39. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. He's talking to people who know the law. They know the scriptures. And he straight up tells them, you don't have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness about me. So yes, it is totally, totally reasonable to believe that, you know, you can just have a bunch of head knowledge and not know Jesus, but that's not what we're after here. That's not what I'm, I'm begging you or pleading with you to do, right? I want you to, to read the word of God and delight in it. Have that heart like David had where I delight in your testimonies. They are my counselors. Jesus says something else that's really interesting in uh, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Uh, he's talking to the Sadducees, and he starts out with a very controversial statement. It's controversial today, and I promise you it was controversial back then, especially you're standing in front of a crowd of people. You are wrong, right? He just tells them, like, guess what? You're wrong. And you want to know why you're wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You don't know the Scriptures, right? And I don't want that to be said of anyone here at our church, right? Um, and again, right, like, I get it. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to just be people with big heads and little hearts, Right? But I want you to see that as we search the scriptures, our hearts grow and our minds expand and we magnify God. We, it's not that the more we know, the less we love God. The more we know, the more we love God. And the more we, we stand in awe of him. John Piper puts it like this. There is an odd notion that if we use our minds to grow in the knowledge of God, mystery will diminish and with it wonder and reverence. I think that's one of the oddest notions in the universe when you're talking about an infinite God. No matter how many millions of ages I use my mind to know more of God's majesties, his glories will never be in danger of being exhausted. Infinite is not subtracted from. Don't worry that you will limit him if you know something about him. Don't buy that insane popular notion that mystery goes down when knowledge goes up. That is insane when you're talking about an infinite God. So point number one, the Bible is God's word. Point number two, the Bible is useful. Point number three, the Bible is sufficient. And what do I mean by that? It really is enough. And this is the point that is most precious to me I, because I, I just believe it. Right? I don't know what it was ever since I was a Christian. Maybe, you know, everybody's got different measures of grace, right? Like, but when God saved me, he really did point me to his word and convinced me of its, you know, of his goodness and its sufficiency. So he says, all scripture is God breathed, or I'm sorry, breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Not just a few good works, not just that, you know, okay, I'll make you good over here, but, you know, you're going to have to go somewhere else for this. No, like, all scripture is breathed out by God so that you can be complete and equipped for everything, every good work. In Second Peter, Peter puts it like this, Second Peter 1, 3, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So Everything that we need for life and for godliness can be found through a knowledge of him. So, uh, Psalm, so the last, the, the last time I, I was talking in the Psalms was Psalm 119. Don't get confused. This is Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. Just listen to what, what David says about the law of the Lord. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, 
reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." So listen to that. It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure, true, righteous altogether. What does it do? It revives our souls. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart and enlightens the eyes. And we are to desire it more than we desire money, more than we desire acclaim, more than we desire food, right? I love, I love what, what uh, Jeremiah says. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Jeremiah 15, 16, Job 23, 12, I have desired your, your words more than my daily food, right? And why? Because by them we are warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And that is a promise from God. There is great reward in keeping them. It's not like God is somebody who's going to make these empty promises like, oh, actually, I couldn't keep that. Like, no, great reward. So I'm not saying that you know, we shouldn't look to other books or other resources, right? So, so when I say the Bible is sufficient, it, it, it just really is enough, right? And, you know, these things are good, right? When we have commentaries, when we have, like, books in the Christian living section of uh, the Christian uh, websites or whatever, right? Like, where you get your Christian books from. You know, it's not wrong to look there. I'm just saying, let us not pass over the Bible, right? When we want, you know, information about other things, right, or, or about things, right? So, like, sometimes we'll pass over the Bible when we want, you know, information on money and say, like, well, the Bible doesn't talk about 401ks or CDs or IRAs or if I should do Roth or traditional, right? Like, and you're absolutely right, right? The Bible, you will not find the word 401k or CD or abortion or transgender or things of that nature in the Bible. That's because the Bible speaks to realities and truths that are much deeper than all these things, and they should affect and influence how we view those things. So when I think, how should I invest my money? Well, I go to the Word of God, and I see, okay, what does God desire for my money? I'm not saying we shouldn't use other resources. I'm just saying the Bible should be our primary resource, and it should inform and influence how we view the information we get from those other resources. So with that, right, so the Bible is God's Word, the Bible is useful, and the Bible is sufficient. It really, really is enough. Risen Church, I'm telling you, as somebody who has been walking with the Lord for 12 years, right, the Bible really, really is enough. It's not going to lead you astray. It really is pure. It's going, to, it's going to train you in righteousness. It is so good. So make sure you are spending time in God's Word every single day, right? And so... There are some here, there's some people here who you hear me talking, you're like, yeah, that's cool, right? You talk about the Word of God, like, I'll read that, whatever, but like, how can I be saved? Some of you are here, and you hear my voice, and you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't know the love of God. You have not received Him. You have not chosen to follow Him and love Him, and I want to circle back to, uh, can I say that? Yeah, circle back to uh, verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So how can you be made wise? 
for salvation, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, right? Now, some of you may say, so through faith, right? Like, and that's all I have to do. I just have to believe. Like, that sounds, that sounds silly, right? Like, again, Zul, like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've done, to which I would respond, I don't have to. I really don't. What saves you is Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Mark 1, verses 14 to 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hang on to that. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you turn from your sin to Jesus and you believe in the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is good news, right? So many years ago, angels came to shepherds laying in a field and they were scared. And the angels say, hey, don't be scared because today I bring you good news of great joy. Today in the city of David, a savior has been born. You've been waiting for this savior and he's born, he's here Right? I love the word. My favorite verse in all the Bible says John, talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus walking towards him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He's the one we have been waiting for. Right? And the Bible says that all of our sin was placed on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that God made him who knew no sin, sorry, 5.21, made him who knew no sin to become sin for us right? Jesus became sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. It's not just so that, you know, God might like us a little bit or we might be okay. Like, no, we are the righteousness of God. That is why Jesus did what he did. And if we believe in what he did there, the Bible says that God put him forth as a propitiation. That's a very big word that just means he absorbed all the wrath of God on your behalf. And if you believe that, if you believe in what he did, that, that he really did take your, take your sin on the cross, and if you really believe that he has done everything that's necessary, you don't have to work for it, you don't have to earn it, then, then you can be saved. Because three days later, he rose from the grave. He beat death and sin and Satan and hell, and he said, I'm not done. Right on the cross, he said, it is finished. And then he came back, and he says, I'm not done. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. God is calling you to repentance. So repent and believe. So I'm going to get the worship team up here, and I'm going to pray. But um, here shortly, we're going to take communion. And, you know, if, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I just I ask that you please, there's going to be people in the back who want to pray with you. And I ask that uh, you go and you talk to them. Receive Jesus Christ today. So let me pray. Lord God, I love you, and I thank you that your word is sufficient for us. I thank you for all that your word does, that your word is pure, that it teaches us, that it corrects us, it reproves us, trains us in righteousness. God, you are so good to us. And God, I pray for those who don't know you here today. I pray that uh, those who don't know you, that they would, that you would, uh, that you would work in them, that you would save people for your glory and for our good. I love you so much. I thank you for the cross and for the resurrection. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.